and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have another great show for you this evening. Uh, as I mentioned, we have Stan Gordon coming up, uh, but we have uh, sort of breaking news. So we're going to have Dave Beatty on about uh, the USS Kearsage uh, UFO encounters. Um, if you've been paying attention to UFO news out there, you'll see this uh, breaking in the last couple of days. He's going to be on for the first 15 minutes or so. Just a couple of things. I am uh, going to, if you listen to the audio podcast on your media player, check out to see if this works. I'm going to start doing a video uh, podcast. So you'll actually see uh, a video on your media player as well as the audio. Uh, you don't have to watch it, but I'm just saying it's, it's going to be available. It's something I'm experimenting with. So um, it would be nice to get feedback from you, uh, what you think of it, if you would, at uh, martinetpodcastufo.com. And uh, please, no more spam. I get so much spam. It's unbelievable, but uh, I can't stop that. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it'll be a fun show this evening. We have uh, Stan on after uh, Dave Beatty to talk about his latest book, Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania. He's also going to be talking about um, some recent UFO cases that have happened, as well as uh, a topic of mini UFOs. I think he's talking mostly about orbs. Um, so anyway, I also want to uh, give a shout out and uh, let everyone know to check out a new podcast from a friend of the show, Kate Colleen. Um, she has a background in architecture, and she also has an interest in true crime and also in paranormal. So the name of her podcast is called Nightmare Houses. Check out nightmarehouses.com. Uh, she's got a couple of episodes up there. I've listened to two of them, and they're great. So check that out. That's uh, link is down in the show notes. Make sure you give uh, that a check out. Something is happening here. Uh, one of the feeds is not working, and that has to do with you, Bill. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what's going on with that. But uh, hang on just a second. have to clear that up. All right. So um, without further ado, I'm going to bring our guest, Dave Beatty. And Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you for short notice joining us. Hey, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. As you know, I always like talking UFO. So, Yep, that's right. And uh, so I saw your name listed in the UFO news lately, and that's why I contacted you. I've been driving all day, haven't had a chance to read it, but I'm going to pull up your website to ensure that for everyone. So what is going, you were contacted from someone from the USS Kearsarge. How did that, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, recently I was contacted by <clears throat> a retired Marine Corps senior officer, um, who is no longer in the Marine Corps, but he still has, uh, ties to some of his former shipmates and so on. And he reached out to me to ask me if I was aware of this UAP event on the USS Kearsarge in 2021 and 2022, earlier this year. And I said I hadn't. He said, well, he goes, there's a, a shipmate of mine that was on that ship, and he related to me a recent UA, UAP case where the Marines on the deck of that ship had witnessed a UFO. And so that's kind of like how it started. He basically was... Um, a secondhand witness kind of relating what his buddy that was on the ship um, had witnessed or his Marines had witnessed. 
Mm-hmm. And w- can you uh, talk about the nature of the encounter? Sure. So, the, you know, the, the Kearsarge is like a, uh, an amphibious uh, transport dock ship. So these are, you know, there was a picture that you just scrolled by that kind of shows the ship. It's a big rectangular flat flight deck. And they they can launch the Osprey tilt rotor crafts from there and helicopters and um, Harriers and that sort of thing. So during the workup phase, before they deploy overseas, they practice every single little uh, technique. Uh, They they say it's sort of like they walk, skip, run, so to speak. And they work up to uh, a full-scale training with many uh, units and so on and and practice real-world events. So they were out there with the Navy. The Navy runs the ship like the uh, Navy's uh, amphibious group. And then the 22nd Marine Expeditionary Unit is comprised of land and and air Marines that go out on the ship and practice and fire guns and fly helicopters and so on and actually even do amphibious landings on the shore. And this would be right off the east coast of the United States, off their training areas, uh, Cherry Point, North Carolina, Camp Lejeune, and so on. And then there's these... uh, uh, naval ranges that are right offshore that they can go out and practice without fear of interfering with any civilian traffic. So they were out there in around October or November of 2021 conducting some of these workup trainings. And at, at one point during the training, one of the Marine units um, that's like an air defense unit had a vehicle on the deck of the, the Kearsarge. So they parked their Razor, Polaris Razor style four wheel ATV up on the deck, and this is called an Elmatis or Elmatis uh, unit. And the Elmatis unit is like, yeah, right there you go. So it has like a radar system that is on the mounted on there for air defense and tracking airborne air objects. Specifically, this this device is sort of counter UAS or unmanned aerial system. It's a counter drone system, pretty much, and they can track these drones. And it has a camera system on it. It has some type of Um, electronic uh, warfare system that would presumably be able to knock out the control mechanism of a drone if it was coming in. And so they were on the deck of the ship practicing that, you know, that that they could actually even help protect the the Kearsarge. And during one of the nights where this El Mattis unit was out there, the Marines that were on that uh, vehicle noticed that there were these two objects that were trailing the Kearsarge. And they describe these things as about the size of an automobile, maybe a half mile distance, um, and they were maybe 200 feet off the surface of the water. And these guys said, well, these things are drones, and obviously somebody is testing our capabilities. Um, You know, that's what our job is, so we better fire this thing up. So they tried to get radar tracks on it with the Almatis truck, and... According to my source, they were unable actually to, to see any radar returns from, from that device. And they also had some thermal imaging FLIR uh, um, equipment, and they tried to see the, the objects with the FLIR, and the same result, like it didn't show up, these lights. So then they, they just went to a regular video camera, and indeed they could see it with the video. So they could see, I guess, with their eyes, like as lights, and they saw it with the video. And these objects were matching the speed they weren't like overtaking the ship so they weren't going that fast a vessel like that might be going 20 knots or something so these lights were um behind the ship following the ship they could they began recording uh the the event and they were 
the pilot said that they were actually doing what he called shackle turns. And if you scroll down a little bit, you see that that shackle turn. And that's basically where they reverse they reverse position. So they they saw them as left and right. And then the objects would cross in the center and change the position, um, so to speak. And they said that looked like a shackle turn. Um, but in all in all events, you know, led to the fact that um, this wasn't a training event because the Marines uh, went to their higher command soon thereafter saying, hey, we spotted these drones or these UAVs and we're trying to figure out if you guys sent them out here to, you know, test us or these were Navy devices. And the chain of command looked looked around and they, they said, no, it wasn't us. We did not send these out to your ship. And you know, as well as the Navy. So it became this mystery, like no one seems to know what these objects were. They couldn't get them on radar. They couldn't get them on FLIR. They were able to record the the objects on videotape. And I guess that videotape got sent up to, apparently it would have been like a, a UAP report now that the DOD is accepting military UAP reports of unidentified aerial phenomena. So there would be a video and a report that would accompany that. So that's basically the the gist of the story. But I was surprised that that it hadn't really come out in the media at all. And so this week, it's really kind of picked up a lot of steam, Martin. Right. Yes. Well, um, I appreciate the the fact that you, uh, you know, they contacted you and you are getting it some publicity out there. I mean, that's that's really great. And so did they it it sounds like this is uh, Again, it it sounds like another case of of like a security issue, um, you know, if they can't identify it. And it, it's kind of funny how they just it's kind of just left up in the air. I guess there's really nothing left for them to be able to do with this. Nothing really happened or anything. Right. I mean, right. So so this, you know, in the annals of UFO encounters, lights in the sky are pretty prevalent. So this would be a. Uh, one of those lights in the sky cases, but indeed it was, from what I understand, a multiple multiple witness case. They, the truck itself, the El Mattis Marines, couldn't see it on radar. I'm not aware if the Kearsarge, um, the the combat information center on that vessel, which would have had uh, their own radar that would be operated by Navy personnel, actually had contact as well. I did uh, send off some FOIAs to both the Marine Corps and the Navy inquiring about this communication that, that definitely occurred between the ship and their command that would have been discussing this and trying to figure it out. Now, the, other, the next question that comes up to me anyway is, why are these UAPs seem to be harassing Navy ships? Again, um, this is 2021. You know, I covered extensively this case in 2019 off the, the, the coast of Southern California where you know, up to 10 Navy ships were harassed like in the entire month. And, and in that case as well, I don't think we ever had an answer from the Navy or anyone as to what exactly these objects were. So it remains a mystery. This seems like a very similar case where these these objects seem to be watching or following in a menacing way, but not getting too close, almost just like an observation. So... Do you think it has anything to do with us being able to observe better than we did in the past? Or do you think this is just something that is relatively new happening? I, well, 
I mean, I would say yes and no. I think in this case, these guys saw it with their eyes because it wasn't that far away and they were luminous objects. Um, yeah. But in, in general, I think there's more cases being reported because of advanced sensors that are able to detect at long range, sp- specifically on our advanced fighter aircraft that have these targeting pods and so on that are meant to look out for enemy aircraft so that they can see them at long range and so on. Um, in this case, you know, I think it, it kind of, to me, it begs the question, what exactly are these objects interested in? If they're man-made, obviously, we might say it's surveillance or counter, it's, it would be, you know, electronic intelligence and signal intelligence that an adversarial force would be flying drones looking at this for the intelligence um, aspect, since they're not really being aggressively engaging in an aggressive manner, um, so to speak. But aside from that, then people might also say, well, is there something that the military has that actually um, causes these objects to appear? In other words, is there some type of bait that is being used I mean, that sounds crazy, but I yeah. mean, Luis Elizondo has mentioned that maybe there is something like that. I know the pilot brought up to me, he's like, you know, in my career, um, you know, when we flew, I didn't fly with nuclear weapons. But he said, you know, the Navy would transport nuclear weapons from point A to point B. And I know that's like one of these very sensitive uh, topics. It's like, don't ask, don't tell. It's all classified. We're not supposed to be transporting anything like that on our Navy ships, on the surface fleet, at least, as part of the agreements we have with um, other countries where these ships are kind of pulling into ports in countries that might have anti-nuclear uh, bans, you know, nuclear bans and treaties and so on. So I don't know that the, that, that would be one case that they're, they're interested in that. But, I mean, as you know, there's a lot of cases where uh, uh, UFOs are seen over storage areas and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, right. And did you mention a Q36 explosive space modulator? Is that something you... That was that something? Me. That I don't know what that... I, want I saw that. I, I just don't know where that came up and, and how that, that fit in this particular case. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, interesting. Dave, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's always great um, seeing you and talking to you each time. I enjoy it. And thank you for your great work. Sure. And uh, do you have your, uh, I did post your website in the show links down below, but also um, the video that you did about the USS Nimitz case, how many views is that up to these days? <laughs> it's well, it's it's just, under, it's just south of 6 million views. And um, I know that, you know, People love to see that. If you go, my website is thenimitzencounters.com. You can go and, you know, get a link to, to that film in my YouTube channel. And, you know, I'm, I'm also kind of pre- previewing and teasing a case that I'm working on right now, this very week. I've been working on it today. It's, it's an incredible case that is relatively have, has never been heard about. And I'm going to be releasing up to like an, uh, a 48-minute film that investigates uh what happened in this again it's a navy case and that's going to be on the the youtube channel the nimitz encounters youtube channel so stay tuned for that when will that when do you expect that to drop i don't have a due date i'm I'm basically working on it right now we're trying to um identify more primary witnesses um Mm -hmm. i have i have spoken to two primary witnesses from this case that saw this thing and it's pretty startling. And 
we have if we can get a few more it'll even be more like mind-blowing yeah i can't can't wait to see that please uh keep in touch with me about that i'd like to okay. uh like to talk to you more about that um sounds good at, when it gets uh dropped thanks very much you got it all right take care take care all right, our next guest. Oh, first of all, I just want to show this great picture here for Nightmare Houses. Check that podcast out again, nightmarehouses.com. And uh, so I do want to uh, bring in our guests now for the rest of the show. And Stan always speaks to us on the telephone. Stan, how are you doing? Good to have you. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for having me back on the program again. We're doing well. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, your mic sounds a little hot. Uh, Bill, I don't know if there's anything you can do about that. Sounds a little hot on this side, but um, uh, Bill, hopefully you hear me. And uh, so, Stan, um, okay, Stan, um, you have a new book, and it's hasn't it been a while since you've written a book, or do I just have not seen uh, have not seen ones uh, released by you lately? Yeah, it's been several years, and um, just uh, very busy. A lot of family things going on, a lot of reports and things going on, but finally. Um, after a lot of setbacks, we finally got this book done. And this was uh, made available uh, on Amazon uh, on March the 2nd. It's called Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. And I know that you did some great work years ago, back in the 70s, I think it was, on the connection between Bigfoot and UFOs. Do I have that right? Oh, that's correct. Yeah, that's uh, that's when I began to notice some very unusual aspects with, with the Bigfoot phenomena. And um, before I really get into that, I probably should give you a little bit of background to the listeners who are not familiar because it's a part of the, the story. Uh, you know, I started this when I was 10 years old back in 1959 as a curious kid interested in science and electronics. And I just happened to hear a radio show talking about unusual happenings. And I was curious. Are these people making these stories up? Are they telling the truth? And began to ma uh, make a lot of trips to the local library. And I was 16 years old when the incident happened near Kecksburg, PA. And it was after Kecksburg, I began to go out into the field to do firsthand investigation. I've been doing that ever since. So now going on 63 years of research, and I still have never seen a UFO or a Bigfoot. Interviewed thousands of UFO witnesses, interviewed hundreds of Bigfoot encrypted witnesses, have seen a lot of evidence, but I've never seen one personally. Uh, but anyhow, in 1969, I set up a hotline for the public to report UFO sightings. And um, it became apparent very quickly from the reports coming in that this was a lot more than I could do on my own. So I decided I was going to try to set up a, a research group of volunteers to investigate the reports. So in 1970, I founded the first of three volunteer research groups. And the first group was called the Westmoreland County UFO Study Group. And it was kind of unique in that the majority of people involved were specialists. We had scientists, engineers, technicians, police officers, former military people, all kind of people um, volunteering their time. We all had full-time jobs. We're doing around our jobs. But I had it set up that we could respond to cases 24 hours a day uh, when we were able to. And we did that in many cases. And by 1973... We had extended to cover the whole state of Pennsylvania, and it was lucky that we were set up because none of us could ever imagine what was about to unfold. First, we had the, the largest outbreak of UFO sightings ever documented. started January 1st of 1973, continued to the last day of the year. There were, there were hundreds and hundreds of UFO reports coming in, and, and many of these were daylight sightings, some very detailed close-range reports. 
Uh, and back then, the, a lot of the local and uh, statewide and even national papers were covering a lot of these incidents as, as they were going on. And all this UFO activity in itself was just amazing. But then in the summer of 1973, we had the biggest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever documented as well. And that went into summer of 1974. And uh, that's when we began to notice and, and hear from the general public um, that some very strange things were being reported with the Bigfoot reports. And um, one of the first things that turned up is that my teams would get out to some of these locations. So we would be on the scene sometimes within minutes to hours after these incidents occurred. That's why we were able to document them so well. And in some cases, we would have these very large, unusual footprints with very large strides between them under different type of ground conditions, and even the wintertime in fresh snow, that would go for a distance and then just abruptly stop mm. with no more tracks, and there was no reason or explanation. There was no way they could fabricate under the conditions we found. And that, by the way, is still ongoing in recent years as well. But that was one of the first things that came up. And then we began to hear some even stranger things from some of the witnesses. There were people who told us back then that even in daylight, they would see one of these tall, hair-covered creatures standing in a certain location, and then suddenly it would physically vanish and disappear and reappear a short distance away at another spot. And then it got stranger and stranger as the weeks went on, and again, from widespread areas. And you got to remember, back in those days, uh, the Internet was not the same as it is today, so many people would call <laughs> the police departments or the news media, and then we would quite often get the reports so that they would refer them over to us to follow up and investigate. And um, so all these reports are coming in, and then we see this pattern. We'd have a UFO sighting in a certain area. Within minutes to hours to days later, we'd have uh, a Bigfoot sighting or a UFO sighting and vice versa. And uh, and then we had those amazing cases where we had a UFO and a Bigfoot seen together at the same time and place. And um, I'll be glad to tell you about some of those accounts. And these kind of things are actually still ongoing. And uh, a lot of these cases and similarities to what I wrote about back in the 1970s, in more recent years, we're hearing a lot more of this now from around the country, from other researchers, from witnesses. And um, it's a, the more I know about the subject, the stranger it is. And it's very, very complex, but I'll be glad to get into that this evening. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you. I, I say that quite a bit on the show. The more I look into this topic, the less I feel I know about it. Um, it's just really uh, very interesting. But I want to focus on just for a minute what you're talking about when you're talking about these footprints that seem to go for a certain distance and all of a sudden disappear. It seems like I'm hearing that over and over again when people are talking about this phenomenon. And I just find it so strange, um, you know, and and what I find strange about it is how could this be? And, um, and, and that makes you wonder, you know, all kinds of, you, when you try to make, get an answer for it, then these things come up like a, these, and you talked also about it showing up in another place it sounds almost interdimensional or something. I mean, what what do you think these crazy things are when, when this type of thing happens? Any any thoughts? Oh, yeah. Well, it, dealing with so many cases and, and in investigating and interviewing so many people who didn't know each other, and they're telling us the same kind of details, they're reluctant to even talk to about it. Most of these witnesses 
wouldn't even believe it until they had their own personal experience. But um, yeah, you know, when I started years and years ago, first of all, when I started dealing with UFO cases back in the 60s, you know, back in those days, after examining and interviewing so many people in a lot of low-level, close-range sightings, not just lights in the sky, but large structured objects, and we can talk about some of those older cases as well. You know, back then, many of us in the field were of the opinion that we're very possibly dealing with something as extraterrestrial. But I can tell you, in, in the many, many years I've been doing it since that time, I've learned a lot more about this, whatever we're dealing with, is very, very strange. And I, as I said a long time ago, I think it's very likely there's more than one origin to the unknown category of the UFO phenomenon, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe a small percentage might be extraterrestrial, but the more I know about this, and again, what's really interesting is is that I'm, I'm seeing some similarities between, for example, some of the Bigfoot reports coming in, some of the other cryptid reports, and UFO mystery, and UFO sightings are being reported. There is a physical and a non-physical component to a lot of these cases. So with UFO sightings, as you're very much familiar with, and I think more and more people are hearing about this, even in daylight, these objects could suddenly just, just suddenly appear. Yep. And then they can either look physically solid, and then they can either begin to slowly fade away and disappear, or just suddenly they're gone. They come mm-hmm. and they go. Sometimes they physically change form. We have reports even in recent years of, of large what appear to be a solid outline of triangular objects moving across the sky, but people can see through them. But these things right. suddenly appear, they come and they go, they have, there's a physical and non-physical aspect to it, and yeah, for lack of a better term, I guess we'll call it interdimensional. Yeah, like I, I and I also agree with you that they could be a number of things. I mean, it just seems to point to that. Um, in, in so many ways, uh, there's not one answer for them all. And I always like uh, the uh, the thought of, you know, we wouldn't even understand it if we knew, I, you know, and that, that's that's also a possibility. So, yeah, um, I, uh, yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah, the more we've learned about this, the more mysterious it is. There are so many aspects of the Bigfoot mystery. And again, going back years and years ago, when I got involved in this and I was investigating reports of Bigfoot sightings in Pennsylvania back in the 60s. And what I knew about Bigfoot was that it probably, if these things are real, people really see these things, it's probably some type of unknown primate. Well, as time went on and we learned more and more about it, I started to realize, especially in the last several years and a lot more data and more information I've been finding, uh, it's much more complicated. There's similarities, again, with some of the UFO uh, case has been reported over the years. And here's one example of many, many that many people have never heard of. And you're familiar with the fact that even going back to at least the 1950s, you've heard many reports of these unusual objects, these aerial objects, pacing vehicles, hovering low over vehicles. And sometimes the motor began to sputter. The headlights yeah. would go very low. Uh, they would lose power. Mm-hmm. The object would take off and the power would come back on. The headlights would get brighter. Well, what a lot of people have never heard of, even though it's rare, but they've been reported around the country, there are also electromagnetic effect cases with close-range incidents with Bigfoot. So we have incidents where people uh, were driving, and this creature came passed right in front of their vehicle, very much near their vehicle. And as th- this happened, 
the car began to lose power. And as the creature moved off, the power came back on. So that's just one thing that's very, very intriguing. Wow. Has this, as far as you know, I saw, you know, the title of your book is uh, Cryptids. Has this happened with any other unusual animals or what looks like an animal that people are seeing as well? Or is it just Bigfoot? Oh, no. Uh, there, and again, there's differences, but similarities. So another thing that's been showing up, and, and something you may have heard about this too, but I noticed this years ago, but it's been happening more and more in, in the last several years. Uh, people have attempted with both the old digital cameras and even with the, the phone cameras now, people have at times attempted to take pictures of UFOs, especially some of the low-level cases, and when they did, when they aimed their cameras at them, for example, there would be a malfunction and the camera would not work. It worked fine right before that. It worked fine afterwards, but only during that time. And the same thing has happened with cryptid cases now. We're having people tell us about this. In fact, it gets even stranger that there have been incidents where people have, right after the cryptid encounter, they went over to take pictures of the physical evidence, like uh, footprints. And the cameras would malfunction. And as soon as they got home, cameras working fine. Uh, I, I interviewed a fellow a few weeks ago. Um, and, and again, this is something we can talk about more often because we're all familiar with Skinwalker Ranch. But some of the incidents I've been involved with since the early 70s are very, very similar. And these incidents are going on now at certain areas in Pennsylvania, which have been active. Uh, I know of many others I've heard of around the country of similar type things going on. But he's up, this fellow's up on the uh, Pennsylvania-New York border, uh, apparently a long history of all kind of phenomena. So you have um, screams and cries and footprints and Bigfoot sightings and other cryptid reports, uh, Black Panther sightings, paranormal phenomena. And again, we'll get into what I call mini UFOs, these small orbs or small spheres of light low to the ground in areas we have a long history of Bigfoot. But I just talked to this fellow, and this guy is a professional person, has some very high-tech equipment, night vision equipment, some very good stuff he's familiar with. And as he told me just recently, uh, on this one night when these orbs are close by, every time he tried to get a, a still capture or try to take video, it would malfunction. He would check all the equipment out right before that. Everything was fine. Afterwards, it was fine. But only whenever he tried to take a picture, it would not function properly. You know, you also hear about batteries on cameras like dying uh, when it's fully charged and there's no reason for that to happen. That's another one. Any cases that has that happened to, with any cases that you're aware of? Yeah, that, that's again, that's what's happening. In some of these cases that you have fully charged batteries and uh, and, and the cameras just when when he tries to take a picture or when the witness tried to take a picture, the battery was completely dead in some cases. Uh, I remember yeah. one case, oh, this was probably, oh, seven, eight years ago. And this was up um, This was up on the Fayette County, Westmoreland County border. Beautiful morning. The spell is sitting there uh, at this table next to the window. His dog is lying there. And uh, all of a sudden, it got pitch black. And it had been sunny moments before. And he thought, that's so unusual. Like, there's a big storm coming up. So he grabs his fully charged phone he had just charged. He calls to his dog, which goes with him everywhere, and the dog refused to go out with him. So the guy steps outside, goes out on his driveway, and about 500 feet above him is this huge, silent, black triangular object. 
Hmm. And the first thing he does, he aims his camera to take a picture, and the, it would not work, and he found the battery was completely dead. And, yeah, those are the kind of things that have been reported more and more. That That is amazing, and I don't even know what would do that, you know, um, electromagnetic possibly, but I don't know. Um, we have a question in chat. I'm just going to run this by you because I hear this term often spoken lately. Um, now that we know the hitchhiker phenomenon is exact, is scientifically verified, I didn't really realize that, but uh, this is uh, Jay Allen is having this question here. Uh, Skinwalker Pentagon book, please ask um, about the hitchhiker effect with, when it comes to Bigfoot or cryptid side. Are you familiar with that term, Stan? Uh, so I believe you're talking about people who got involved, investigated at certain locations, and then later various type of upper, uh, paranormal stuff, uh, anomalies occurred uh, away from that area. Is that what we're discussing? Yeah, it kind of follows them, follows the person that was uh, investigating. I've heard that from people from years and years ago. And, um, you know, here, here again, it, it's so complex. There are so many different aspects of what we're dealing with here. You know, I found that many people just happen to be at the right place at the right time to see a Bigfoot cross the road, see some other type of cryptid report. Um, and, and even with UFO sightings, the same thing. But then there's many, many people I've interviewed over here, very credible people from all types of backgrounds. And I began to try to study the background of some of these people. And some of these people, from the time they were very young, they began to experience various types of paranormal experiences. Other things happened to them throughout their life. They had UFO encounters. Some had missing time. Uh, they had Bigfoot encounters. Sometimes later, their, their spouse would encounter this. Later on, uh, there's one person I've been in touch with now for probably going on well over 45 years. And um, she was a young child that was missing, and there was a search for, and they found her standing right in the middle of the field, had been searched many times, and she had no idea she was even missing. But she's had experience with her whole life, then her children, and now her grandchildren. Wow. And this is something I'm finding with various other uh, people as well. In fact, it, it's so amazing. When you interview these people, and they don't know each other, and they tell you the little details, they keep bringing up almost exactly the same thing. Uh, that they're telling me that certain things that happened to them throughout their lives, the experiences they had. And could it be that certain people have certain abilities that are able to pursue the, perceive this phenomena where other people can't, or could the phenomena be attracted to them? Right. Um, you know, you mentioned early on, you said that you never had any type of, you never seen a Bigfoot, you've never seen a UFO, uh, but your work is stellar on on these things. I'm really glad that you do that. And what in what was the biggest inspiration for you to go down this path and take a really good look at these things? Well, I, I think what happened was that as you as I started back so many years ago and started documenting all these cases, here's one of the first things that showed up that there was something unusual going on with Bigfoot. 1972. Uh, this actually was only several miles uh, from where I live here in, uh, outside of Greensburg. This was a large wooded area where a lot of people lived around there for years and years, and nothing ever happened there. And all of a sudden, I started getting calls from various landowners independently who are talking about screams and cries and something bipedal heavy walking in the woods. Then somebody does see a, a large 
broad-shouldered creature chasing dogs. They're finding footprints. They're seeing strange lights. And they're seeing these very small little spherical objects uh, in their trees and very close to their home. So I started documenting all that. Then, of course, next year, 1973, all kind of stuff's happening, all kind of phenomena is going on. Uh, and you have the UFO sightings and the Bigfoot sightings and all these weird cases are showing up. And let me give you an example of just a couple of the cases. And I'll try to be as brief as I can because there's a lot of detail, but they're so interesting. And, again, I, I don't have, we don't have time to even begin to get into all the details of even this one case. But this is an amazing case. Some of the uh, listeners probably heard it before. But this was the case that convinced me and some of the skeptical research people on my team that there was a lot more to the UFO and Bigfoot phenomena. And, and let me stress this. When you hear these accounts, I am not saying that Bigfoot, for example, is a passenger or a pilot of a spacecraft from another planet, because we don't know for sure what we're dealing with. You know, could these objects be something other than extraterrestrial? Could be. And the creatures may well be something else, too. We just don't understand it. But this particular case, October 25th, 1973, my hotline, many reports of UFO sightings during that 24-hour period. About 10.30 that night, I get a call from a state trooper from the Uniontown Barracks in Fayette County, which has had a long history of UFOs, cryptids, and it's ongoing year after year, including already this year. Anyhow, he told me he had just come back from investigating this very unusual incident. He believed it was possible there was something still up on the farm. He wanted me to get my team up there as soon as we could. So it's already late. We did. We got our team together. We got our radiation gear, our radio equipment, and got things together and found our way up there and spent much of the night and early morning hours up in that area. Um, about 15 people in that rural area are observing this barn-sized red sphere, about 100 feet off the ground, slowly moving downward towards the pasture. And I always send her the case on the farmer's son, who was the uh, a fella who a lot of the story focuses on. He was coming out to visit his family. It was on his dad's farm where this happened. He's riding down the farm road, and he sees people standing outside, sees this object in the sky, and it's coming down lower. So he goes to a, a better location to get a better look at this thing, and it looks like it's going to land on his dad's farm. So he and two neighbor boys decide they, they want to go up and see what this thing is. So before going down to the pasture, they stop at his dad's farm. He grabs a .30-06 and a handful of ammunition. He didn't realize it at the time. He had two tracer bullets. And uh, so you just get that luminous trail when you fire those tracer bullets. Anyhow, as they're riding down the farm road, the dogs around the area are carrying on going crazy. They hear this high-pitched whining noise and these loud baby crying sounds. And they finally make their way down the area. They they angle their vehicle, they have the headlights on, and it looks like something's draining the power from the headlights. They had never noticed that before. So they walk up to the top of the hill to the pasture, and they're standing there, and they can't believe what they're seeing. About 250 feet away, this very large object is now on the ground or right above it. But now it's not a complete sphere. It's a big white dome, like a half of the sphere. But it's about a, it's big. It's about 100 feet or so in diameter. It's making this loud pitch whining noise. It's illuminating much of the area. So they're standing in this thing, and they can't believe what they're seeing. But then a few minutes later, they look to a barbed wire fence about 75 feet away. And here's these two huge 
bipedal upright creatures covered with long, dark, matted hair, one behind the other, moving very slowly along the barbed wire fence in their direction. The largest one's about eight feet tall. The one behind it's about seven feet tall. These things are bipedal. Uh, they have no neck. They have very long arms. They're almost they're extending way below the knees, almost to the ground. They have luminous, large, luminous, glowing green eyes. These things are making this loud, whining, crying baby sound. Well, the one boy is so frightened, he runs out of the field. And the other young boy starts yelling at him, shoot him, shoot him. Well, the guy fires his first shot over their head, which was that tracer. So he just got that luminous trail. But when he fires that second tracer, the largest of the two creatures reaches out instead of grabbing that tracer, makes a loud whining, crying sound, and that large object in the field vanishes and disappears. It doesn't take off. It's just gone. So most of luminosity is gone. The sound stopped. It's getting butt dark. They turn around. The two creatures start walking back along the fence line, back towards the woods. At that point, the guy's firing live ammo from his .30-06 into the creatures, mainly aiming at that big one. And he told me, I remember he told me for years and years until he passed away, he said, I'll never forget how that huge creature with those glowing green eyes are staring at me as I'm pumping live ammo into it, and there's no effect on it whatsoever. So they run back to the truck and go back to the farmhouse and told them what happened. And they called, the, and they went to a neighbor's and they called the state police. So the troop arrives about 45 minutes later. They go up in the field in the troop car. And I interviewed the trooper. And he said, they're walking around looking for evidence. And they go over to the area where the object was on the ground. And the trooper said the whole area was self-luminescent and glowing, about 100 feet or more in diameter. He said he shined his flashlight beam into it. He could barely see the beam. The farm animals wouldn't go anywhere near it. And he said, if I had a newspaper, I'm pretty certain I could read the newspaper from the light coming off the glow. And again, I'm, I'm making the story shorter here because there's a lot more to it. It got stranger and stranger during the night. I read the whole thing up in my silent invasion book. It's very detailed. And anyhow, they went back to the barracks, I was told. Both the trooper and the witness were separately interviewed. Then they called me to send up my team. And um, I can tell you, by the, when we got there, the glow was gone. The radiation levels were normal. Um, it was a very, very interesting story, probably the most, one of the most interesting things I've ever heard. And during what happened later during the night and all, it's, it, there's no doubt that uh, there was something going on there. And that was one, one of numerous cases that had some strange elements to it. But there was another case that happened only miles from there in February of 74 that gave us a clue that whatever these creatures are, we're dealing with something that is not flesh and blood. And if you'd like, I'd be glad to tell you that story. Uh, yes, I'm going to have to hear that. <laughs> uh, and we do have just to let uh, thank you for those people in chat that are putting up questions. I'll try to get to them as we get along, but uh, as we go along here. But and I'll also try to take calls at the very end of uh, the last half hour of the show uh, a little differently than uh, normally, but up uh, normal. But I can still do that here. So, yes, let's hear the details of that, Stan. Okay, so this was, this was the case, among others, that convinced me that we're dealing with something that's much, very, very strange. So this is February 6, 1974. This is up towards Ohio Pile in Fayette County, way up in the mountains. And some of your listeners will recall the time period. We had uh, a big, tr there was a big national trucker strike. There was gas rationing. Some people, I'm sure, remember that at the time. 
Yeah. Uh, there was some violence going on around the country on the highways. So here in Pennsylvania, you had the National Guard and the state police patrolling uh, and responding to various incidents. Well, you had members of both units that responded to this case. And um, I, I lived in my town. There was no gas available. I couldn't get up to the St. early the next morning. So anyhow, that evening, yeah, uh, this woman lived in the mountains all her life, knew animals very well, was a very good shot. She was sitting there in her home like normal watching TV when she heard this little commotion on her little front porch of her cabin home. She had some uh, empty soda cans out there, and someone was knocking the soda cans around. So uh, two or three weeks before, she had a pack of uh, wild dogs had come through, and she figured, I bet you those dogs are back. So she thought, you know what, I'll just grab my shotgun, and I'll fire over their head and scare those dogs away. So what she does, she grabs her 16-gauge double-barrel shotgun, loads one chamber, walks up to the door, hits the switch, opens the door, turns on the light, and steps out. No dogs around, but right there in front of her, about um, six feet away, here's a seven-foot-tall, hair-covered creature, described just like a big whoop with long arms, raises his arms straight up over its head, and what does she do? She f pulls the trigger and fires right into it. She said there's this bright flash of light, like the strobe on a camera, and it physically vanishes and disappears. But that's, an, that's not the whole story. So her in-laws live 100 feet away, and they heard the gunshot, and I call her and ask her what she's shooting at. She explained the story to them. Her son-in-law grabs a sidearm, starts walking down that dark road, and as it got close, he said he was surrounded by, I believe it was four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire, started shooting at her randomly. And a short time later, here's this large object, they said like a, a large luminous Christmas ornament hovering over the woods at the same time. And that's when they called the state police. And I, I talked to a primary investigator, and he said by the time they found this place way up in the mountains, everything was done. But he said something very strange happened there. He said the witnesses, he said they were very, very frightened. They were very credible. But he said what convinced him was the animal reactions. And that's something mm -hmm. very common to UFO cases and Bigfoot cases. And we found in many cases over the years, especially with Bigfoot, that even the most vicious dogs, when they're close to these things, they're just paralyzed. They don't bark. They, they shake. They cower. They hide. Sometimes they'll lay down. Their eyes will move around, but they won't say anything or they won't make any sound. Sometimes they don't eat properly, eat properly for a day or two later. And that's what the officer told me happened. He said, we get up and he said, they have a number of different large dogs and other animals, and everything's quiet. The dogs won't bark. I, there was one big dog in a cage. I think it was an Eskimo Spitz. And a guy, and the trooper actually, I believe, tried to pull the dog out. The dog wouldn't even move. It should have ripped his arm off. And hmm. there was other things going on. With other animals were reacting at during the time, very unusually, according to the people on, on that property. But um, we got there early the next morning. And I uh, interviewed the people. By then, when I got there, all the dogs were barking. But that was a very interesting case, and there was more to that story in Meets the Eye, too. But that was the case, among others, where people told us that these things at times can suddenly disappear. Uh, I don't recommend people shooting at these things that people have over the years, especially during that event in the 70s. People had different power, different types of weapons they used, and either the creatures would... In most cases, they would just sometimes be completely unharmed, show no indication of being harmed at all. 
sometimes they would fall down and get up and walk away. And then you had these cases where the things, the creatures just disappeared. And uh, so has anybody ever reported like, you know, I mean, like, I agree. I don't think it's a good idea to shoot them, but has anyone ever reported any blood? Uh, We had one case where we thought we had a blood sample. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was up in Indiana County where in daylight, I believe it was daylight or just getting dark. That these, it was up on apple orchard. We knew these things loved apples, corn, and berries. We had reports of them taking whole apples and putting whole apples in their mouth and eating them. And this thing came right up. These people had just picked a bunch of bushel baskets full of apples, if I remember. And this thing came up and was taking apples out of the bushel basket and eating them whole. And it went around to the side to the front of the house. And the fellow in the house grabs his rifle. And he, as this thing is crossing the road, he starts firing into it. Apparently, no effect on it whatsoever, but it's making these loud cries and screams, and other people are coming up, and it's running across the road eating an apple, and what looked like blood on the road, so they called the state police, and then the state police had contacted us, and we sent our team up right away, and the troopers got there before we did. They took, if I remember, some of the apple samples, but they left what looked like blood for us, and uh, years and years ago... We had access through uh, one of the other research groups back in the day, and they had some of the top, uh, one or two of the top anthropologists in the country, and it took a long, long time. But anyhow, it turned out it was not blood. It was apple juice mixed with saliva, but that's the best they could do at that time. Wow. Do they happen to, did they happen to save the samples of that? If they did, we never found, we never, not that I'm aware of. No, the samples we had, you know, we had, we had different types of testing done in labs over the years in different cases. But back in those days, the testing was much different. And lots of times, if I remember, it was a destructive type of test. So you lost your samples, which was unfortunate because we had some really good hair samples from those days. And a couple of, some of them actually mysteriously disappeared in transit. That's another story. But, um, but some of the other samples we had were destroyed during the testing, and I wish we had them today. Right, because, you know, you have DNA testing today, which would be crucial if you could actually get saliva from one of those things. You know, uh, wow, yeah. And, yeah, you do hear about um, things missing, you know, uh, evidence missing that seems to, you know, seems to follow the UFO field anyway. You know, like, uh, for instance, the Socorro incident, there was a scrape of metal scrape on a rock and that somehow disappeared when it was in NASA's hands to take a look at it. Um, you know, that that type of thing. So it is it is a shame when those things happen. But uh, fantastic stories. You know, I always always love having you on because these stories are are, are quite amazing. And and the, I can tell you to give you another little interesting aspect of that. October 25th UFO landing with the Bigfoot. So years later, during a follow-up interview with one of the the primary witnesses, because we did that on important cases, um, anyhow, what we found out was that um, about a week or two after the incident happened. Now, my team was up there numerous times doing follow-up investigations. It was a big deal. It was in the, you know, it was in the news and whatever. Not all these details, but people knew about it. And um, we had never used hypnosis on this fellow because of some of the things that happened. And years and years later, we we're considering the possibility. So we're, we're interviewing 
this fellow. We call him uh, Steve, for a pseudonym. And uh, we start talking to him about doing hypnosis. And he looked at us real funny, my, my associate and I. And he said, well, why do you want to hypnotize me again? And we looked at each other because we knew none of us and our team had never hypnotized him. And he went on to tell us that. He said, I think it was about a week or two after the incident happened. He said, among those that came to him, there was a man in a dark suit and a man in an Air Force uniform. The man in the Air Force uniform had a briefcase with him. He thought for somehow they were connected to my group at that time. So he never thought much about it. Anyhow, he said these fellows came there. They wanted him to tell them all the details of what had taken place. And then during that time, the Air Force person opened his briefcase and took out pictures of both UFOs and Bigfoot. And I remember him telling me there was a picture of a Bigfoot carrying a dead pig under its arm, climbing a fence, I believe, in Georgia. And they wanted him to point out the similar UFO pictures and the similar Bigfoot pictures as to what he saw. And then apparently they did hypnotize him. They thanked him very much. They said they'll be in touch with him again, and he never heard from him again. And, of course, we tried to follow up on that, but, of course, now it's 1973. So Blue Book closed down in January of 1970 officially, and there was no records of anything, and we couldn't find out who it was. But there were other mystery men that showed up during that time period when some very strange things were going on in 73 and the 74. I had a I had someone on the show that was is not in the so-called UFO circuit. I just happened to talk to him, um, and uh, he told me this amazing story. I had him on, I don't know, maybe four years ago. And back in the, I thought it, he said the 60s, I believe it was, he was just a kid and had a UFO sighting and wrote to the Air Force. And these two people showed up at his door. And one of them he thought was RuPaul after all these years, you know, looking into it later on. And, but the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because they sat with him. His, his mother let him sit in a room with these two guys. One was an Air Force uniform. One was in a suit or something. And they showed him pictures of UFOs in a book and said, did it look like this? Did it look like that? And it almost sounds similar to what you're saying, that they showed him this picture of a Bigfoot carrying a pig, as you said. I believe you said that. Uh, yeah, that's really, really something how they would. That's the second time I've heard that type of story. Well, there, there is so much, you know, there's so much to these cases we're dealing with that the public's not aware of or they really ever hear about. The other thing that I think is very significant is what I call mini UFO sightings. And I think I just barely touched on it. But uh, since the 1960s, I've been investigating these incidents of these objects that are not high in the sky. They're very low to the ground. They come very close to witnesses. And they're, they're generally pretty small. They range anywhere. The smallest ones look like oversized lightning bugs or fireflies, or about an inch or two in diameter. But they go up to about a foot or two in diameter, generally spherical, but not always spherical objects. Uh, some are solid metallic looking. Other ones are just brilliant light sources of various colors. But what's really interesting, again, they'll, they'll come right up to people at times, even in daylight. I've had them pace vehicles. I've had them enter people's vehicles and homes through open windows and float around and then sometimes go out the windows, sometimes go right through the walls of the house or right through the bed of the vehicle. And uh, those cases are very, very intriguing. 
And these things, uh, are, they're going on more and more over the years. But also what's fascinating is in more recent years, not only in Pennsylvania and ongoing even recent weeks reports I'm getting, but um, in other parts of the country as well, in areas where you have a lot of history of Bigfoot sightings, both Bigfoot researchers and witnesses are reporting these unusual spheres of light. Some people call them orbs. Uh, it low in the trees, sometimes coming close to them. Uh, and sometimes these cases, you have some direct connection with Bigfoot as well. And, and I'll give you one interesting example. This occurred uh, just uh, outside of Pittsburgh in a, a wooded rural area in, in May of 2019. And it was early morning hours, and this fella... I think it was in the kitchen or whatever, looked out the back window. That whole back area where he lived was well illuminated, and there was a large wooded area, and he sees a smaller Bigfoot. We get reports of smaller ones, too. It's four and a half to five feet tall. It was covered with long, dark hair, um, and he was walking upright on two legs. Arms were swinging. He got a really good look at this thing, and it's moving pretty fast, and it goes to a particular area of the woods as it enters the woods. Seconds later, at the exact location where it entered the woods, this bright sphere of light, about three to four inches in diameter, just suddenly appeared. And he said it was similar to looking directly into the front of a flashlight, but it's only about four feet off the ground. The light then went a few seconds and then vanished, and a few seconds later, it reappears again, about 10 feet away. This time, the small sphere emits a bright beam of light, about 10 to 12 feet long. After a few seconds, the beam of light and the object is gone. But those are the kind of things that are happening. And, you know, we had an amazing case during that 73 wave north of Pittsburgh. You had two witnesses out in the country waiting for a friend to pick them up. They see this around the seven, eight-foot-tall, hair-covered Bigfoot with white hair. You don't hear about the white ones very often. We get those reports. It's strange enough to see a Bigfoot running across the road towards the woods. But in one of its hands, it's carrying a small sphere of light. Oh. And as it's walking into the woods a few minutes later, this object comes across the sky, projects a beam of light down into the woods where the creature went into. Jeez. Just crazy. Just crazy. And the, the white one, isn't that what they used to call the abominable snowman or something like that? <laughs> well, again, when you hear the reports from the Yeti uh, up in the Himalayas, yeah. uh, a lot of those reports are of something white. In the United States, you do get some reports most of the Bigfoot reports are generally of a darker color, but uh, we are getting those kind of reports. It was, I think it was January of last year, 21, uh, up on top of the Chestnut Ridge, which we'll probably talk about. It's one of those areas where we have consistent reports year after year. Uh, daylight sighting, fella never believed in these kind of stories, uh, lived way up in the country, out in the woods, and observes a seven and a half to eight foot tall, hair covered, he said it was dirty white matted hair which we've had other reports, saw this thing clearly walking across the field. And unfortunately, he's outside and he has no camera with him. And that seems to happen quite a bit. I, I got to tell this real quick story. I'm trying to have this, um, you know, my show is basically about UFOs, but this this is a, 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 another strange, like, cryptid thing. Is my uh, A friend of my son was, this is his story. And again, I'm trying to get him on just to talk. Uh, you know, I do my everything else show, uh, maybe get him on that for a few minutes. But he was in a very remote area in Maine and they heard a noise and looked like across a river. And they saw this thing that looked like it had long 
spider legs, like several legs, but sort of like a, almost like a human head. <laughs> and then uh, they like made noise or whatever when they saw it. Like, I don't know if they screamed or whatever, but the thing made a scream and ran across the river and, and they, and they followed the, the tracks. They saw these like poke holes in the, in the, in the ground where it was running. I mean, really bizarre story. Um, do they get, do you have also uh, encounters of really strange, uh, I know you wrote in your, the title of your book is creepy cryptids, but do you have like strange things like anything? Have you ever heard of anything similar to that? Uh, somewhat. And yeah, actually the new book is full of cases like that. There's things in there, creatures in there that I was even stunned. One case really stunned me, uh, among others. And, and there were so many different ones because it deals with all kinds of things, uh, just bizarre creatures. A lot of, it's not just Bigfoot. Um, some of the things, for example, let me give you an example of this back in 2017. And I think I had maybe a report or two prior to that in 2017, we began to have a series of reports of these of this tall, humanoid, hairless, sickly-looking creature. And the first report actually I got was uh, in the fall of 2017. Uh, Southwest PA was from a police officer on patrol. And he said, this is the weirdest thing I have ever experienced in my life. He said, I'm on patrol. I'm out in the rural area that I patrol commonly. He said, I, I'm riding down this dark road, and ahead of me I see this this very dull white ball of light low to the ground. And he's thinking, I've never seen any lighting like that before. And he stops his vehicle and suddenly this ball of light rises up from the ground. And he realizes actually the head of this being that's about six feet tall or larger. And he said, it was tall and was skeletal thin. It was hairless. And uh, it's illuminating the upper section of the body of this thing. And he watches this thing, and it turns to the right, and uh, he can see it's illuminating uh, up around the shoulder area. And it turns and faces him, then turns to the left, and he said, it moved at such an incredible speed. He said, I assume it ran. But he said, it was just seconds. He said, I have never in my life, it was, it was abnormal. He said, I've never seen anything. It was faster than anything I've ever seen. It was there, and then it was gone. And interestingly, that's almost the same terms that people have used with people with some, with some Bigfoot case where the thing just suddenly appears out of nowhere, walk in front of a vehicle, they see it from head to toe, and it's gone. Just like we talk about the tracks, it just end abruptly and it's gone. Mm -hmm. um, so within weeks, other somewhat similar reports came in. These reports, by the way, are, are some of these are in the new book as well, and they go in a lot more detail. But strange, strange stuff. And then there was another case. Uh, and this is over towards the Armstrong County area outside of Pittsburgh. So this would have been in the fall. I'm trying to remember. I believe it was the, of 2018. Yeah, fall of 2018. So this fellow actually lives deep in the woods. He knows animals very well. And he hears this bipedal sound. He knew it was not deer, but it sounded kind of odd. So he decided, I'm going to get down to the house. And... Um, Anyhow, he's down at the house. He's sitting there about 10 feet away at the table from the back door, which is a big glass door with no drapes on it. There, it's completely open. You can see right through it. And all of a sudden, he looks, and here's this humanoid creature again. He said it looked like skeleton, like a skeleton cut with all gray skin, gray bony legs. The legs looked similar to the back legs of, of a greyhound dog. The arms were long, 
were longer than normal, bony and hairless. The head was round, the neck was small. The head appeared to be on its shoulders. The mouth was closed. The eyes were glowing a dull yellow color. He said this thing probably would have stood at least six or seven feet tall. He said he could see its spine protruding as it moved and was down on all fours and scampered around the house and was gone. I mean, that's just an example. You know, I go into strange things that are being seen in the rivers and lakes of Pennsylvania, weird things. Uh, Thunderbird sightings, reports of these huge flying creatures, and we had a, a number of them last year. I've been investigating them for years. And, you know, I've talked to uh, people who had backgrounds and experience with ornithology and the study of birds, and they, these people saw some of these huge flying – we're talking wingspans from 10 to 20 feet. Some of these sightings were in daylight, very low to the ground, and I had incidents where they actually on the ground blocking vehicles eating roadkill. In some cases, they had the wings opened up so they could see this huge, massive wingspan. One case I looked into happened in neighboring West Virginia back several years ago. It was a two-lane road, and after the incident, because the man could see this thing flapping its wings, there was dust and dirt coming up to the end of the wingtips, and as it took off, he looked at the spot very carefully. He came back the next day and measured it. It was 21 feet across. <laughs> There's nothing that we know about that size, which is... No. Really bizarre. And, and another another anomalous creature that's really interesting are reports continuous reports of black panthers, including this year already. And you know, when we think of black panthers, we think of black leopards, black jaguars, not common to this part of the world. Right. But they've right. seen them here in Pennsylvania and many other parts of the country for years and years where they should not be. But here's what's interesting. Something I again I found years ago, in some cases, especially in these areas where this phenomena seems to focus on, target on particular geographical locations. We have this sometimes long history of, again, paranormal stuff. You have the orbs of light, the balls of light. You have UFOs. You have um, screams and cries and footprints and strange creatures being seen and UFO phenomena going on. In some areas like that, you sometimes have more than one cryptid. So not just Bigfoot sightings. Sometimes you got Thunderbirds, and then you got these Black Panthers showing up at about the same time. And there have been incidents over the years, not only in PA, but other parts of the country, where we have a Bigfoot side-by-side side with another cryptid, which a lot of people have never heard about this before. And hmm. I, I'm just telling you, the more I know about it, the more bizarre it is. And again, I'm not the only one, because other researchers around the country have been finding more and more of the same type of things going on. And one pattern I found years ago is that many low-level, close-range UFO sightings and many encounters with Bigfoot and other cryptids, other unusual creatures, commonly occur in the vicinity of energy sources. So you have many incidents around high-tension power lines, uh, power plants, uh, railroad tracks, bodies of water, uh, radio and cell phone communication towers. Uh, gas wells, gas lines, I may have mentioned that. There's no doubt in my mind that whatever we're dealing with, there's some type of energy connection to, to whatever it is. Right. Uh, there was a question that came up a while back here I saw, and asking basically that question, what do you think it is about Pennsylvania that attracts these kinds of things? Um, but you're, you're talking about these are man-made things is what you're talking about mostly, right? No, what I'm saying is there's some connection 
between the sightings of, of low-level UFOs and these creatures, and they seem to be attracted to the, the man-made energy sources in those areas. Right, I got it. And so when you're when you're citing these uh, cases, um, do you do, when you go into your book, do you have more specific uh, things like for the date and the places where things happened? Oh yeah, it, it goes in that there's dates. There's um, you know I don't give exact locations because a lot of these things are on private property, and of course witnesses ninety nine percent of them don't want their names used. Um, and again, I understand that because, you know, I, I get calls from people who see these things all the time, current reports and past reports, and we didn't even talk about some of the more recent sightings. And uh, this stuff is just going on on and on. You know, when we're talking about the UFO mystery, it's not something that happens on a rare occasion. I mean, I deal with these cases every year, all year round, in all type of weather conditions, daytime as well as at night. And if you go back on my website and, and take a look, there, there's a lot of information on an incident that happened the last several years. And I can tell you, even during the pandemic, it's, I am really surprised from the reports that have been coming in. From going back from the time of it, even prior to the pandemic, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2019 was very active. 2020, 21, last year was steady reports coming in. A lot of elongated cigar-shaped objects, even daylight reports, triangular objects, uh, low-level reports coming in, cryptid reports coming in. But here's what's really fascinating. You know, generally, in the fall or winter months every year, because of the weather changes and all, re reports begin to slow down. But for whatever reason, last year, 2021, starting in October, and uh, continuing right actually up to the last couple weeks, it's been nonstop reports coming in. So even this year, I mean, January, February, March, it's been real busy with reports. And again, what's really intriguing is it's not just lights in the sky and objects making strange movements in the sky, but some of these are low-level incidents, which I can give you examples of some of these cases that are being reported from different areas. And again, this is not making the news because the majority of people are not calling into the news media and reporting these things. Um, but I'm getting reports, other researchers are getting reports. And from what I'm being in touch with other researchers, I'm hearing even in other states over the last few months, there seems to be some activity going on. But I don't know why it's happening, but this is what's going on. Right. Yeah, let's get into some of those cases. Uh, I'd like to hear more details about them, if I could. All right. I'm just going to give you some examples here. So October of last year, um, this would be around the, again, Armstrong County area outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, in the evening, a, a very large wingless object with red lights along the bottom, non-flashing. Uh, the only sound was just the, this large object moving through the air. There was no motor sound. There were six smaller white objects following the larger object. And then these lights began to circle this very large object. And... They moved ahead of the large object, continued off in the distance, and then the large object continued out over the trees and was gone. In uh, mid-October, now this was a, a major highway, Route 119, uh, near Scottsdale Mount Pleasant exit. Man contacted me, a very reputable person. So he's riding in his car, and all of a sudden, several cars in front of him all hit their brakes at the same time, and he happens to look up. And apparently, they're all seeing the same thing. He said it was very cloudy and overcast at the time. And um, 
It's cloudy again, and there's this round gray cloud, though, that was lighter in color. It was very low in the sky, and it looked to be the size of a school bus. But what caused everybody to slow down was this strange cloud is making these erratic movements right and left, up and down in the sky. They were very easily discernible. He said it was like similar to a school of fish following a lead fish around. And uh, he watched this thing for about 10 to 15 seconds, and he was, just, he was trying to get his cell phone out to get a picture of it. He was just about to pass underneath an overpass. It was beginning to fade away. When he came out of it, seconds later, it was gone. Here's another report from October. So this was north of Pittsburgh in Butler County. Here's one of these interesting cases. Um, this came in from Dan Hagner of the BORU Research Group on that area. This was up near a town called Meridian. He said... Um, a witness that evening reported seeing some movement in the bushes near the road around dusk. A large hair-covered creature about seven feet tall, walking upright, moving fast, moved to the right, was hairy, muddy, and had matted hair. But within hour, within the hour in the same general area, other witnesses were reporting a very large triangular object about 100 feet off the ground, about the size of three buses hovering. And he said the object had lights in each corner, and the object was completely silent. And witnesses reported feeling a static electric charge while in the vicinity of the object. And that's really interesting because I had two other reports within weeks of different areas of people reporting being close to a, a UFO and have, feeling the static charge. Uh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, I'm just going down some of the different reports coming in. Here's another one, very interesting report. This was mid-November last year. This was uh, along the Chestnut Ridge up in Fayette County in the afternoon. Person's riding down the road, sees this object quite low to the ground, three lights and around the triangular configuration. It looked similar to a guitar pick in shape. Said it looked like a perp. Um, it was it was kind of a rounded triangular configuration, and the lights, perfectly circular, were non-blinking, orange-yellow in color, about the size of a dinner plate. As this person got closer, the silent object was to her left, and she had to pass below a section of it. It was only about 30 feet above the ground, and she said this thing was not that big. It was only about 10 feet long, about 6 feet wide, got a real good look at it. Happened to have her her dog in the vehicle, and the dog was moving its head around, looking right at it. And this person is touching the dog to comfort it. And as she touched the dog, she got a static charge from touching the dog while the object's there, which she generally never did. So that was interesting. Uh, other reports around Pittsburgh. Um, I'm just going through some of these other reports here. Uh, in, in January then of this year, so this is outside of Latrobe. Uh, again, it's close to the, the section of the Chestnut Ridge, which is a it's a mountain range. It goes through Westmoreland, Fayette, Indiana County, and southwest PA, and extends down into near Morgantown, West Virginia. And, and it's a hotbed for sightings. It's it's long. It's about 100 miles long almost. And mm. But there are certain areas, especially along the Westmoreland County site up in this area, where we get reports year after year of all kinds of strange things going on. And I've spent many years... Many nights during the years in the past with my teams up there, but um, I only saw evidence. I never saw anything. And so anyhow, on this case, this is early morning hours. This is around 4.40 in the morning. Person goes outside. I think they get a newspaper, notices these uh, two, white and two white lights and a red light, 
sees an object but can't really discern the shape. But then all of a sudden, the multiple lights come on the underside of the object. It looked like a circuit board with numerous lights, looked like something like solid pipes connected to some of them. The object was making a low humming sound, was very low, about 70 feet high. It was between her yard and the neighbor's yard. And again, there were numerous white lights, something connected to them. And the, sh the object was about, let me see here. About, let's see, the shape of the object was not there, but the panel section looked to be about seven to eight feet in length. And then interestingly, and I don't have this report in front of me right now, but I got another report weeks later, a few miles away. I think it was about an hour later out in Derry, again, right around the base of the ridge. And they reported strange sound and strange lights over top of their field. So it's within miles of the same area. Um, mm -hmm. Now, here's a real interesting report. January, and this this gives you an example of what I deal with sometimes. So here's January yeah. 15th of this year. So this is, um, again, we have reports all over the counties, all through southwest PA and other areas too. A lot of this was in southwest Pennsylvania. So early morning, early January, we had a, a very long deep freeze going on. A lot of sub, uh, sub-zero temperatures. People were having their pipes break from the, uh, from the freezing temperatures. And this fella was very concerned that his water line was going to be freezing up. So early morning, up to 3 in the morning, he's underneath his his home in a crawl space. He's, he's partly in it, and he hears a strange humming, clicking sound behind him, but he can't see where it's coming from. The next day, his neighbor calls him, and he knew nothing about his neighbor being out there underneath the uh, crawl space. He said, I want to tell you about something really strange I saw over top of my barn. And this was during the same time period. Apparently, the guy was underneath his house. And he said, what awakened me was something was upsetting the horses. And the horses were very upset. So he gets up, and he starts walking towards the barn. And he says, as he's getting close to the barn, he gets, I think, about 150 feet away from the barn. This goes closer. These lights suddenly appear about, about 20 feet over the barn. And, they, uh, and then he sees this object. That he said, kind of a teardrop-shaped object, about 65 to 70 feet long, smooth silver, a metallic, looked similar to stainless or galvanized steel. It was solid and smooth. The object emitted a humming, buzzing noise. There were numerous lights across the surface that looked round, approximately eight rows of 20 to 30 lights that would change from a red to blue and then back to uh, red. And he said he watched this thing hover for about five minutes, and he didn't have his camera with him. And he said he watched the light suddenly, the lights went out, everything went dark, and the object just disappeared. It never, he never saw it leaving the area. It was just gone. And moments later, all the horses went back to their normal behavior. But that's not the end of it. So then another report comes in. Um, one of my research associates, Jim Brown, investigated this same morning. This now is about 7 o'clock in the morning on the PA West Virginia border. And... Um, this person's outside early, I think, taking trash out and notices this object. It's kind of hard to explain. It's kind of elongated, dark center with a light in it, and apparently it's fairly low off the ground and does not have a phone, but she thinks, I want to get a picture of this thing. So she runs in her house, and when she touches the door handle, guess what? She gets a static charge, which she normally never does. So she runs in, grabs her phone, Touches the door again, gets another static charge. She goes back out, the object's gone. 
So, so Jim, who's a real high-tech guy, has some very high-tech instrumentation, got there, I think, within an hour or two. And uh, the lady, by the way, called her neighbor to come over, and she also got a static charge. So here were three cases within weeks of this type of thing happening. And then to add to the mystery, the same morning, and I'm not sure if I have it in this file or not, the same morning, hold on a second, I'm going to try to switch and see if I can find this report. I have pages and pages of reports just from this year already, which is just pretty amazing. So we're looking January 15th, and at a little after 9 o'clock in the morning from Cambria County, so another county you know, a distance away, people in daylight see, guess what they see? They see a black panther in the daylight, very close range. They did get a picture of it. It's not real clear, but you can see the back section of it. And um, so now you have three really interesting uh, cases on that day, and then you have this uh, black panther sighting too. That's just an example of what I deal with pretty often. On the same day? On the same day, within hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I have heard people talk about a Black Panther in America, you know, I mean, which is, but again, it's kind of like Bigfoot. Nobody's ever caught one, as far as I know. And you would think that they would find remains or something um, if, if right. they're wandering or, you know, if they're breeding, uh, you know, they Bizarre stuff. I, I I love all this. I'm going to try to. Uh, uh, there was a. Let me see. There was another question up here. Uh, someone wanted to know if there's any Bigfoot sightings in Sarver or Lancaster, PA. Holy Sarver! If you're talking about Sarver in Armstrong County, lots of activity. Even the last few years, I've written about some of these cases. I believe I have a, a several cases of different cryptids from the close area in my new book, actually. But anyhow, Armstrong County, very active with UFO sightings, cryptid reports, a lot of weird stuff all around there. Uh, and Lancaster County has had incidents going back to at least the 70s. During that massive wave of UFO and Bigfoot sightings, there was incidents going on down around Lancaster County, so in eastern PA as well. There is probably not an area in Pennsylvania that something unusual hasn't happened. And some areas just have a lot of active history. Some areas have more activity than others. And um, and there have been, again, Black Panther sightings all over the state. There have been incidents where, um, I could tell you, for example, in March of 1983, see how my memory is doing here, there was a Black Panther incident in a suburb of Pittsburgh, so it's a populated area. And this actually made the news, by the way. And um, my team investigated it. Uh, this was a large auto dealership right near the edge of the big woods was a big fence separating the woods from the dealership and the mechanics putting a headlight on a car that morning and this huge black panther with a dead animal in his mouth dives over the car and lands a few feet away from the mechanic i mean it's so close he could smell it he can hear it breathing and it turns around and jumps back over the car back into the woods so other people see it and there's a big one and a small one that led to a big search by uh, the Pittsburgh police, animal protectors with tranquilizer guns. They searched and searched. They never found it. There's nothing missing from any zoo or any animal air, uh, place around the area. And it's another one of these mysteries. But what about what about uh, footprints? I believe they found some, but not enough to track, if I remember. I, in fact, I had one of my guys who was a professional tracker in my research group. Now, he didn't get out there until later, but he did 
find a path, I think, for a short distance, but then that was it. So I, I don't think it was that conclusive. But here's the case I'm going to tell you about that, once again, I told you about some of the strange elements with Black Panthers and Bigfoot seen in the same areas. Mm-hmm. Here's another similarity to some of the Bigfoot cases we talked about. And this was the case, again, with a Black Panther that indicated we're dealing with something, again, that's very strange. So this is February of 1983. Fayette County, around 1 o'clock in the morning, this fellow's coming home from his friend's house. His car's overheating. He pulls into his driveway, opens the garage, and gets a can of antifreeze. He opens the hood, and he hears this growl. So he turns around to look, and only about, about 20 feet away, here's this large black house cat sitting there growling at him. He didn't think much of it because there's a lot of cats around that rural area. He goes back to putting more antifreeze in the car. Seconds later, he hears a second growl, but this time the growl is much deeper and much louder than the first one. He turns around to look, and now he can't believe what he's seeing. That large house cat has now physically grown about another foot in size. So he throws the empty antifreeze can at it and hits it. It growls fiercely at him and takes a few steps backwards and growls again, then starts moving up the road outside, which is well illuminated. He runs into his garage and grabs his pistol, and when he comes out, it's still out there. But he said now it has physically grown that it has it looks just like a black panther like you would see in the zoo. And it has brilliant yellow eyes staring at him. He took a shot at it. He wasn't sure if he hit it, but seconds later, it physically vanished and disappeared right in front of him and was gone. <laughs> These are just, just amazing uh, encounters. And I know we're not touching a whole lot on UFOs and the shows about UFOs, but um, I, I think, you know, I mean, there's just so much activity going on. It's almost like we want to talk about the state of Pennsylvania, but you know, paranormal or whatever this is doesn't really have any boundaries. So what about the states that um, connect New York? I'm trying to think of uh, what's around you there, the states that connect, or do these things trickle into those states as well? Uh, Yes. Uh, Ohio, West Virginia, Maryland, up to New York. Yeah, all these areas we're hearing reports. And again, there's other researchers in those areas, some of which I'm in touch with, and they're all getting similar reports. Not the extent that probably I'm getting here, but you've got to remember now, this is one of the only places in the country, this is 1969, that my hotline's been open. It never stops ringing between email reports and phone reports. I'm always getting current and past reports in. So this is a place, and especially years ago when I had my research groups for years and years, there was a place they could report, and it would be investigated. So most other states don't have that, but you have groups and individual researchers. They all get reports. We all get reports. This, Whatever we're dealing with, both UFOs and these cryptic cases, once again, it's not a rare thing. These things go on year after year. We're all getting reports. We can't imagine how much of this is going on we don't hear about. Right. Well, you know, we have a place to report UFOs. There's like MUFON and uh, uh, what am I trying to think of? Uh, New Fork uh, with Peter Davenport. So places to report yeah. UFOs, but where do people report things that you're talking about besides you? Yeah, and that's the whole thing. A lot of people are very reluctant, you know, to call the police department and even police officers. I've interviewed over the years many police officers from many departments and agencies, you know, who have talked to me confidentially about things they saw. 
I mean, credible people, mm-hmm. you know, you come down to people from all walks of life, school teachers, engineers, uh, pilots. I've interviewed numerous commercial, private, uh, corporate pilots who have encountered these objects in the sky for years and years. And uh, this stuff, it's, it's not, a, again, it's not a rare phenomenon. It's ongoing. There's a lot of activity, even, like I said, in this year and recent weeks and months. And, um, yeah, something's going on out there. And uh, I don't have the answers. You know, uh, over the years, you saw different patterns. But the more you knew about it, the more you began to wonder what was going on. And then you would have a case who came in and just throw a a loop into your theory from years ago. But uh, Mm -hmm. I'm convinced more and more that a lot of what we're dealing with, again, it has a physical and a non-physical aspect to it. That these things, they come and they go, they're here and they're gone, they can leave evidence at times. But whatever we're dealing with, I think right now is well beyond our present scientific understanding. When you say non-physical, what what exactly do you mean by that? Well, the fact that you've got a, a creature like a Bigfoot that looks physically solid, can leave evidence at times, and then it's gone. Right. It's just physically gone. And, and again, even like the Black Panther reports, we've had reports. I, I remember another uh, researcher told me he had a report of a of this huge flying creature a few years ago. But the witness said it was it was strange enough to see this huge flying creature, but it was transparent. You could see through it. And then I had another case of all places. And again, UFO sightings, cryptid sightings, more and more reports in populated areas where there's not a lot of woods around. That's been going on more and more over the years. Uh, here in South Greensburg, not far from me, it's, this is the major area you know, for restaurants, a business area. You have a lot of traffic through there. For years, there's been sightings of these huge flying creatures right over the, tra- right over the traffic on Route 119, these Thunderbird sightings. And, um, and there was a case several years ago. We had a, it was a nice uh, winter afternoon. We had a big snowstorm prior to that, and Two adults and a child decided to take a leisurely walk that afternoon. They're walking this area where there had been a history of these huge uh, flying creature sightings. And they were just walking around looking at the nice scenery. The, the young boy wasn't paying any attention, but the two women yelled at the same time, did you see the size of that bird? Here's this huge bird on the ground to open up this massive wingspan. It's only 20, 25 feet away. It was not that thick with trees in that area. It starts walking right behind the trees in the fresh snow. They immediately run right up to that area to see what happened to it. It's nowhere in sight. There's deer tracks in the snow. There's no other tracks. They would have seen it take off, and there's nowhere to be seen. And they just scratch their head like, where did this thing go? Yeah, that is just amazing. I've I've spent uh, – I'd like to visit New Hope in that area there. It's just uh, – um, such a pretty area. How about that area in Pennsylvania? Is there ever any reports in that area? You know, I know the name, but I, I can't remember right offhand what county it is. Do you happen to know what county it's in, it might Yeah, it's right, it's right on the border of uh, New Jersey. Um, and let me just see. Uh, um, let's see. Oh, Bucks County. Okay. I know there have been a number of incidents, UFOs in Bucks County, even in, in the last year. I know there have been Bigfoot activity around that general area. I know, um, I'm trying to think, even outside of Philadelphia, I mean, going back to, I think it was early 75, and this actually made the news, uh, there was a, what appeared to be a, a small, hairy creature, like a, an ape, and they called it a small Bigfoot, 
that was in daylight walking down the street near some apartment complexes not far outside of Philadelphia. And uh, I know we've got reports on that, and it made made some. I think it actually made a national newswire story. And uh, so these things again, they're appearing not just in wooded areas, but they're appearing more and more in more residential areas, and even with UFO sightings. I mean, Pittsburgh, major city. I mean, we've had so many incidents around, even even incidents in last year. In fact, in March, the late February, and um, all March of last year. An amazing outbreak of UFO activity went on for weeks, and it and didn't make any news because apparently these people weren't calling the newspaper to talk about it because they were they were just so amazed at what they were seeing, but they didn't want any publicity. So let me give you an idea, and, and this report you can find some of these reports still on my website too. Um, so in March, here's a here's some examples. In early March, three white circle lights, triangular formation reported from Cambria County. Objects were observed for a few minutes and suddenly vanished. Daylight observation of a uh, large black rectangular object reported um, Bedford County. Large glowing spherical objects seen low low level and close to homes. Uh, Spheres of light close to the ground. Uh, Now here's some from Butler County from uh, Dan Hagman again. A witness observed a shiny cigar-shaped object in the morning sky. The sky was clear with some fluffy clouds around. Does not appear of any wings or a tail. Witness indicated the object was so bright he had to squint his eyes and view it. Witness familiar with aircraft stopped his vehicle and got out to get a better look at this thing. The object moved into a cloud but never exited from the cloud, which again, we hear more and more reports like that in recent years, even in daylight. So here's an interesting one. Early March, this was up in Butler County. A man is in his kitchen during the evening, begins to feel a strange vibration, and heard a low rumble. He realized a sliding glass door to his deck was vibrating. As he looked out the door, the man noticed a very bright and very large pulsating round object just above the trees on the edge of his yard. The light from the object illuminated his backyard as though it was the middle of the afternoon. He stepped out on the deck and was awestruck by what he saw. He felt a tingling sensation, his hair stood up on end, and he had chill bumps on his body. He called to his wife. He hurried inside to get a camera. When he came back, it was gone. Um, and so the reports, just more and more triangular reports, cigar-shaped objects. And, I mean, this again, a lot of this was going on in, in the populated suburbs of Pittsburgh. And uh, over the years, again, many sightings, we've had reports uh, – of some of the bridges, of objects hovering near the bridges uh, in Pittsburgh over the years. Uh, we had one case up in what they call Squirrel Hill, early morning hours of a, of a very large oval-shaped luminous object that was hovering at an intersection. I think it was around 3 o'clock in the morning. And the witnesses actually made a police report, on which I got a copy of a police report. So uh, we had another case in daylight over one of the big malls in Monroeville years ago of, of a very large, I think it was like three school buses in length, hovering right over top of the mall, and different people reporting seeing it. Uh, mm. So that's the kind of things that are going on. And uh, there's other very significant incidents I've been involved with UFOs of very large objects, very low to the ground. There is no way that they could be misidentification. And yes, over the years, many UFO reports I investigated we tracked down, and there were explanations. Many are determined to be misidentifications of natural or man-made objects. But every year we have incidents coming in that you cannot easily dismiss. Right. Yeah, That I think that's the case a lot of the time. Um, here's another question up there in the chat. 
Are there any interesting UFO and Bigfoot cases where the witnesses have allowed their names to be disclosed or do all the witnesses want to be anonymous? Oh boy. Well, you know what? Over so many years, and again, a lot of witnesses now, a lot of these cases are now deceased, but mm -hmm. still they want to know publicity. So that's, that's how it is. And again, that's what the majority of them is. Uh, there are some people and there, I think there's a few names in my book, but very rarely, um, I can tell you the majority of witnesses, well, I, I can give you one case, and it wasn't a UFO Bigfoot case, but it was a Bigfoot case, and it was a good one. And this was always one of my favorite cases. I, I wrote the whole story up in my Silent Invasion book during that massive wave of 73 is when this occurred. And this occurred out near the little village of what they call Whitney, which is very close to what is now the Arnold Palmer Airport outside of Latrobe. And again, very active area historically, not far from the Chestnut Ridge. And... Uh, Sighting has been going on for years and years around that general area. But anyhow, this occurred, I believe it was the morning of September 3rd. Yeah, I think it was Labor Day morning at 4.30 in the morning. So this fellow's name this fellow's name was Chester Yothers. Chester did not believe in Bigfoot. In fact, the night before, there was some news stories about it. He was laughing out loud. His neighbors were over there visiting, and his wife was out there. And, they, and they're all pretty much making fun of the story. So anyhow, it's about 4.30 in the morning, and he's in his mobile home. He and his wife are sleeping, and all of a sudden, he hears this big bump against his trailer. And he thought he had, he had a garage behind his house. He had a nice antique car, and he thought somebody was breaking in to get his car. So he looks out the window, and he can't believe what he's seeing. So here's this huge creature on the opposite side of the window. So this thing's no more than maybe two feet in front of him, but it has his back towards him. He said this thing was at least eight to nine feet tall, was higher than his trailer, and it has his hands crossed like in front of it, and it's looking across to the house across from him. So it's right on his patio. And he looks at this thing, and I mean, he, he's just amazed. He couldn't believe we'd see him. It's covered with um, black or dark brown hair, about two or three inches long. Arms were very, very long. Got a really good look at this thing. So anyhow, he goes over. Now, this fellow was a retired coal miner. And he had emphysema, as I remember, and he could—he was having trouble breathing, as I remember. Back in those days, you may remember, we had telephones with girl operators, and he awakens his wife, and he said, that thing they call Bigfoot, it's out on our patio. So the wife goes over, oh, my God, oh, my God, what are we going to do? So they find their way over to the phone. They, they hit the wall. They bump the wall as they're moving to the phone. He dials Oprah operator, and he tells the operator what happens. He said, we have an emergency, that thing they call Bigfoot, it's here at my house. They connect him to the state police. I heard the radio call go out. Um, they sent the state police out to the location when later the investigating officer contacted me to come out to the scene. And um, anyhow, they, they had three cars and six troopers there, as I recall. He, Chester had cut his grass that evening, so you had these large, fresh impressions in the wet grass coming across the yard and going across the patio and down over the road. And remember, a couple of troopers followed it for a distance. And I think I lost sight of the tracks. I don't remember exactly what happened. But at one point, the tracks suddenly stopped again abruptly. And Chester said to me, very seriously, he said, I don't understand how these tracks could just disappear. He said, do these things fly? Hmm. That, that makes you wonder. <laughs> uh, you know, but you, you go all the way back to the Skinwalker Ranch, and they talk about it there, too, the same thing. They're tracking Someone's very good at tracking. I had, uh, I had a uh, 
a Native American, I'm trying to remember it from Arizona, talk about the same thing, tracking something and over over on the other side of the stream, a stream and it continues on. And all of a sudden, it's just like they stop. The footprints stop. And they don't, they're not like backtracked upon or anything. They're just playing, you know, vanished. It's, it's so bizarre. Something could have weight. It could have like a physical being and then not, not have that weight and not be there anymore. It is really, really strange. I think it, it just goes along the, the lines of, we know so little about what's going on around us really. Oh, there's no doubt. And and again, here in Pennsylvania, I remember over the years, I've had some of uh, fellows, outdoorsmen, hunters who have come across tracks. And I remember some of these people saying they follow these tracks, but then they physically change into another type of track. <laughs> even more bizarre. Uh, even more yeah. bizarre. There's a question up here. Are there any patterns detected yet when it comes to the witnesses or the time or locations in other words, commonalities, maybe other commonalities or uh, when it comes to locations and times. Uh, there's a well, again, you know, quite often there, there's just like I talked about that uh, incident uh, in January of, of this past year where you had several incidents on the same day. And quite often you'll have other people calling in reporting something similar in the area, not knowing about the other reports. That's one thing that's common. And again, while you have certain areas where you have more than normal activity, and again, sometimes this phenomena seems to focus on a particular property, a particular farm, for whatever reason. Some of these have a long history of these things happening with all kind of anomalies going on, just like Skinwalker. But mm-hmm. let me give you an example. Here, here's a case going back, something summer of 1979. An object falls from the sky into a big wooded area, and soon after in that area, people begin to hear screams. They see small spears of light. Excuse me. They have Bigfoot sightings. And then in 81 and 82, a lot of reports going on in these areas. Uh, Black Panthers, Bigfoot sightings, UFOs, uh, all kind of weird things going on by many, many different people. And actually, it made the news. It was picked up in one of the big newspapers and actually one of the local TV stations did a story on it and did it very seriously. That was the kind of things that were going on. So you do sometimes have these similar patterns. There's some areas where you have, I mean, again, certain areas of the Chestnut Ridge, uh, especially here in Westmoreland County, Fayette, year after year, months after months, even in recent weeks, activity going on in certain areas. And um, there, there are some reason why this phenomena seems to focus on certain particular areas, and we've been trying to figure it out, but so far we have not been able to. Yeah, yeah. Now, you talked earlier about the Chestnut Ridge, and I remember when I've had you on the show before, you told me that that was a very, very active area, and someone wanted to know here, um, do you believe that the Chestnut Ridge could be some type of portal? I mean, your guess is good as anyone else's. Yeah, and, and again, um, that's something I, I do get into in the new book, believe it or not. There's some really interesting pictures in there of some of the anomalies that have gone on up there. Um, one case, um, the, a landowner had property up there where a lot of weird things have been going on for years, and they know their trees. They walk it all the time. 
and there was an old, old tree that was hollowed out, probably from lightning strike years before. And they had seen it many times. But on this one particular day when they called me several years ago, what baffled them was inside of that old tree, now upside down, was a live tree roots up stuffed deep inside the other tree. And there's no other trees like that. There was no indication of any damage in the area, no indication like a microburst or anything along that line. It's just another one of those things that is very, very weird. And there's a pretty interesting picture of it in the book. But other things like that have been occurring. And there are people who claim in certain areas they're seeing, like, some, they call them portals. They've seen some type of opening or doorway where they believe these things might be coming and going from. So, yeah, we've been hearing those stories for years in different areas and up on the ridge. Yeah. Um, this, uh, one of the people in the chat keeps asking about um, spirits, if it's possible that these are spirits left over from extinct species. I mean, I don't know if you've, anyone's ever, uh, uh, you know, came up with that thought or not. Have you ever heard of that as a, one of the, one of the suggestions of what these things may be? There are many theories out there. I keep an open mind to all possibilities. And again, we, we haven't even touched on some of the weird creature cases and things we dealt with. And, and again, some of these Thunderbird reports, and again, under that particular topic, you know, a lot of these things, a lot of the creatures that people are seeing, they describe like a huge overgrown turkey vulture, generally dark brown or black in color, massive wingspan. Some have been seen very low to the ground. And then others have reported similarly large featherless leathery like a huge giant gently black giant bat and then there's other people and some of these again are very credible witnesses swear they saw something prehistoric that looked like a pterodactyl or pterotorn so it, it's very very complex and um besides all those kind of reports you know you've got other really strange creature sightings and, and things of floating entity reports you know we talk about some of the black panther stuff there's all kind of weird things, but I, I think you told me that a fellow uh, called in earlier wanted to know about incidents up around Armstrong County, and um, here's an incident that's really interesting. It's become well-known in this area now. They call it the Butler Gargoyle, and I investigated this case back in 2011. I interviewed the witness many times, got to know him very well. He's a, he's a professional businessman. So this is the morning of March 18, 2011. He's... Um, Riding on this rural road, it's dark, between Jacor and East Brady. He notices to his right in the field some movement. He thought it was a deer. But suddenly this thing just rises up from the ground and walks in front of this big yellow sign. And the sign's over eight feet. It's, it's, this thing's at least eight foot tall. And he realizes this thing uh, is something very, very unusual. And he said, when I interviewed him, he said, you know, people talk about Bigfoot, but he said this thing was not a Bigfoot. He said it had a humanoid figure. It's at least eight feet tall, but it, ha it has a smooth, leather-like skin that was either dark tan or a light brown color. He only saw it from the side. It never looked at him. The head appeared to be kind of flat, and it was kind of shaped like an aerodynamic helmet, as I recall. And the, fa the face was flat. The eyes were not clearly defined, but uh, appeared to be pointed the ear was observed on the left side, was long and flat, came up, and the back was pointed backwards like a flap. The arms were muscular and a little longer than that of a human. It had claws on its hands. He said the one thing that really stood out was that um, it had extremely muscular legs. 
but the legs did not move like that of a human. They looked like they were bent backwards. But he said what was really weird is that it appeared to have wings on its back, which were tucked into its body with the wingtips extending towards the side of the head. And it took three big steps across the road and was gone. Within days, uh, Dan Hagman up at the uh, BORU group up in that area had several other sightings by other people describing the same thing. Jeez, crazy. I I heard someone else talk about something. They had the little legs looked backwards like you're talking about, which is really doesn't even make sense as far as something, you know, uh, being able to move properly. Uh, here's a question that comes up a lot. Why has there never been a Bigfoot skeleton ever, uh, you know, discovered anywhere? And that's exactly what I've been saying for years. You know, if we're dealing with some type of unknown animal, these sightings occur all, all over many parts of the world, sim- similar type of reports. And yet all these reports, you know, you hear reports of body sound, but nobody ever finds a body. People shooting at it, but you never find a dead body. Why over so many years and so many locations year after year, why has a body never been found? But we talked about a few of those cases, at least one earlier uh, this evening, about the woman shooting one at very close range with a shotgun. It disappears in a flash of light. That wasn't the unreported like that. And again, it's not just reports I've received. There are many other well-known researchers out there and others are not well-known who are receiving these same type of cases over the years from across the country and around the world. These things right. are very strange, whatever we're dealing with. Once again, I think for lack of a better term, we're dealing with something that could be interdimensional. I don't have the answers. I don't think anybody does. I, I think the government's been aware for a long time that the, the UFO phenomena is much more uh, sophisticated, much more unusual than any of us understand. I don't think the government has the answers either. They know a lot more than telling the public. They don't have the answers either. And I think as they've been looking into it, I think that they're – they're finding there may well be some association with these other anomalies as well. Yes, I totally agree with you about that. Uh, Bill wants to know why has a why has there never been like a tracking dog or hound ever uh, cornering a cryptid or a Bigfoot, or has there been? Yeah, and and again, in so many cases, when there's dogs in the area, they just turn around and run away. I mean, I've, there are so many. Yeah, cases I've heard that. Yeah. And in particular, when they're close by, they're just like paralyzed in fear. In most cases, they won't bark. They they cower. They hide. They won't move. I mean, that is very typical. I've had so many people who have described this type of thing and this type of response from dogs. So that's one reason why that uh, this you don't uh, have these type of cases that I'm aware of. Right. Um, another uh, question up here is, has there ever been any Bigfoot or any cryptid or whatever that kind of appeared like uh, the Mothman, you know, like uh, like forewarning of some type of incident. Has has there ever been something sighted around an incident in in the scope of time? Um, actually, again, referring to my new book, I actually have a case in there that has never been talked about publicly before, and it deals with something is similar to a Mothman. So you, yeah, the Mothman reports in West Virginia. Back, I believe, in November of 66 and the 67, I had heard rumors during that time that something similar had been occurring around the greater Pittsburgh area, but I could never track it down. But years later, 
I found a witness who had good information on, on one particular incident. And then years later, I found this other person who is best friends with a witness. And he gives a whole story in my new book. And it's very, very fascinating. And uh, but are they um, do they forewarn of events? I, I've heard those stories. I'm aware of the Silver Bridge tragedy with Point Pleasant. I've spoke down yeah. there for many times over the years of the uh, Mothman Festival. But it's not something that's common with the cases I have. But I'll tell you something that is kind of interesting, and this, again, is something most people never heard about with Bigfoot. It's very rare here in my case in Pennsylvania of the hundreds I worked on. But around the country, there are different people who swear, a lot of hunters, that Bigfoot tried to telepathically communicate with them. And I can tell you this. Back years ago in the 80s, I was out investigating uh, with my team, investigating a series of Bigfoot sightings down along the uh, Chestnut Ridge, where people said this creature was coming down close to their property. And I've been interviewing these people, and one of the people in the group said reluctantly and was pretty shook up that this thing had tried to communicate telepathically information. While I was there, while we were there, this person is saying, this creature is telling me that tomorrow morning, the next morning, there'll be a UFO incident over this certain town in Indiana County about 15 miles away. And early the next morning, this strange, unusual sound, sound like this thing was very low, over top of that particular town, did occur. And it was unusual enough that the police and the fire department were called out and it made the news. How about that? Stan, we are, heck, I can't believe it. We're out of time right now. But it's been a real pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. If people want to check my website at stangordon.info, and all my contact information is on there as well. All right. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. You take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. Very good. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right. Take care. All right, everyone. So that is it for tonight's show. Thanks so much for hanging in. And uh, remember to uh, check out Nightmare Houses uh, over at nightmarehouses.com on that new podcast that just came out. Next week, we have uh, Micah Hanks will be on the show as a guest. I'll be on the road and be coming from some location. I have no idea where. But anyway, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Remember to keep your eyes to the sky.